Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In today's episode, we're asking the big question, just who is the best Formula One driver on the grid? And then we're exploring the various ways to answer that question and looking at how we might learn from it to become better judges of the people around us every day. Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hey everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. Thank you as ever to every single one of you for joining me and listening uh, wherever it is you are in the world and however it is you're listening. I appreciate every single one of you as always. If you find something you like, if you find something that you enjoy or something that you learn from in the course of the next hour, then please let me know. You can let me know by dropping me a message on any of my social media channels. It's at F1 Elvis. Or importantly, I would love it if you could leave the podcast a rating and a review, particularly in the Apple Podcast Store. But if you're listening on Spotify, on Google Podcasts or anywhere else, give us a like, give us a follow or a subscribe. Give us a comment if the platform enables you to do that. Some form of interaction just helps me to know that you're enjoying what I'm doing, but also really does help the podcast to grow and reach as many people as possible. And that, of course, is the aim. So any of those things would be hugely appreciated. Uh, I've got a couple of things that I really want to cover during this week's episode. One of those, as I said in the introduction to the podcast, was asking that big question, an almost impossible question to answer, who's the best Formula One driver on the grid? It's a question that came up. I was commentating on the Azerbaijan Grand Prix this weekend for uh, BBC Radio 5 Live, uh, something I'm very, very grateful and lucky to be able to do. I will never take that role for granted. It's one of the favourite things that I ever get to do. And it's an absolute privilege to talk about the sport that I love, to communicate what's happening to those people not lucky enough to be there and to share my opinions on it. So I've been very grateful and very lucky to be able to spend my weekend doing that. But this question about who's the best Formula One driver, it's centred at the time around who's the best of the new crop of Formula One drivers, the new regime, the new guys coming through in the latest era of the sport, the younger generation of F1 drivers. Who's the best? And I want to get into how we answered that on air, but more importantly, what we can learn from both the question and how we answer it in our daily lives. How can we take things from that question and and how we look at the ways to answer it to apply to the way that we look at the people around us, how we judge people around us, how we make snap decisions about the people that we meet or the people we work with or the people that we come across during a day. So that's the first deep dive that I really want to get into in the first part of the next hour. In the second half of the podcast, You may remember if you were with me last week, and if you were with me last week, thank you very much for coming back. I really appreciate it. If you're a return listener, thank you. You may remember at the end of last week's podcast, I left you by saying, I might come back this week in this week's podcast episode with some of my own vulnerabilities, some of the areas in life that I struggle with to share with you some of the challenges that I face. I know that many people look at the things that I do, particularly the things that I put on television or on YouTube or on any of my broadcasting duties, many of which are highly polished, highly produced, some of them edited in many, uh, many areas, some of those things too. And of course, they often look as close to perfect as they can be. And many of you, I know because I get messages like this all the time, look at my life in many ways and think I'm smashing it. I've absolutely got it nailed. I must be cruising through life absolutely living the dream. And in so many regards, I'm very lucky to say that I am doing that. I am definitely living the dream. I've got so much to be grateful for. But like every single one of you, like anybody on this planet, quite frankly, I also struggle with things. And I want to get into some of that later on in the podcast. I want to share some of those things that I find really challenging, that I struggle with still on a daily basis. And I want to share some of those vulnerabilities with you. So we're going to get into that a little bit later on. 
But let's start with that big question. The question that cropped up, I think it was on Saturday during our broadcast on the BBC, who's the best Formula One driver? Now, I apologise if any of you think I'm just going to leap straight in here and tell you who the best Formula One driver is because I'm not going to go down that route. And the reason I'm not is that it isn't a straightforward answer. There is no simple answer to that simple question. Um, The point is that what we do with Formula One drivers is we're always looking for that kind of answer. We're always looking to measure Formula One drivers and to judge who's the best. Formula One, of course, is a highly measurable sport. We are talking about lap times. We're talking about pit stop times, race wins, victories, podiums, fastest lap stats, championships. These are all the metrics by which we measure our crop of Formula One drivers. And we do it over the years, the decades. The history of this sport is littered with a huge number of very talented drivers through different eras of the sport who can't necessarily be compared from one to the other. People say, who was better? Was it Senna? Was it Schumacher? Was it Hamilton? And it's an impossible thing because we can't compare those drivers of different eras. So why can't we just compare the drivers of this current era? Why can't we compare the drivers of today and say, who's the best? And the answer to that is quite a complex one. It's, it's on multi-levels. But the very simplistic view is this is a sport that's not just an individual sport. It's not just about one individual's performance, of course. It's a team sport. It's the biggest team sport in the world. There are a lot of complexities that factor into any result on any given day. I mean, just earlier on today, I'm recording this podcast on Sunday evening. Earlier on today, Charles Leclerc, Definitely, I think, in most people's books, one of the star drivers of the current crop of young, the younger generation didn't finish the race, scored zero points. So if you just took a snapshot of this Grand Prix and looked only at the results, well, you're going to see that Max Verstappen scored 25 points, Charles Leclerc scored zero. Does that mean that Max Verstappen is infinitely better than Charles Leclerc because one of them didn't even make the chequered flag and one of them finished across the line first? No, of course it doesn't. It's much more complex than that. So my point here is that if we look at Formula One drivers and judge them on any particular day, we also have to factor in the many other factors that that go into and play into any result. And it could be all sorts of things like team strategy decisions. It could be how uh, what what level of tyres the, the guys were on at any given stage in the Grand Prix. There could have been a safety car that came out at the wrong moment for somebody, but the right moment for somebody else. Somebody might have got spun round by somebody else at the start through no fault of their own. There could be all manner of different things, contributing factors that shape a result. So we can't just simply look at the results and judge people based only on that. If you looked at Lewis Hamilton over the course of this season, if you were an absolute novice to Formula One, you knew nothing about the sport or the history of the sport, and you'd come in absolutely fresh as a rookie fan, you'd be forgiven for looking at the results sheets over the first third of this season and look at Lewis Hamilton and say, well, look, he's uh, this guy Hamilton. He looks like a mid-table driver. He's not anywhere near the league of Charles Leclerc or Max Verstappen. But you and I know, as Formula One fans... That's not the case. Lewis Hamilton is suffering with a number of problems around his car. His car's nowhere near as good as the Red Bull or the Ferrari. Even though he's dominated the sport for the last seven, maybe even eight years to some extent, he has an incredible record. Statistically, the greatest driver of all time this year looks pretty disappointing if you only look at the results. And that's my point, isn't it? Results are not the only thing we should be measuring Formula One drivers by. And the way that I always answer this question, who's the best driver, is by saying, personally, from a personal perspective, I can only ever judge a Formula One driver if I've worked with them, if I have a better understanding of everything that goes into what makes up a Formula One driver. And when you work with somebody in a team, and I've been lucky enough to work with some of the great drivers of our recent history... Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen, Mika Hakkinen, David Coulthard, Pedro de la Rosa, and a number of other drivers who were absolute top draw. And I was lucky enough to work with many of those. And in doing so, I got a proper insight in most cases as to exactly who they were, how committed they were, what level of Formula One driver they were outside of the car. 
How good were they at giving feedback to the engineers and to the mechanics? How much of a team player were they? So many other contributing factors that go into the makeup of an F1 driver over and above the job that he does that everyone else can see when he's in that car. And that, I guess, is the biggest message that I want to come out of this. We cannot judge a Formula One driver solely by the bit you see on television or solely by the results. I can have an opinion on who the best Formula One driver is that I've worked with. And even that has to be fairly subjective because it was over a number of different eras. I can't compare what Mika Hakkinen was like as a racing driver to what Lewis Hamilton was like as a racing driver because they were at the opposite ends of the 10-year period that I worked in the sport for. But I can give an insight and therefore an opinion as to what their level of input was to the team, how they contributed to the team performance over and above just what they did when they were sat behind the wheel. What did they contribute to the engineering meetings? How did they contribute to team morale? How did they work with the people around them? And how did they work with their teammate in the car on the other side of the garage? What did they do for the people in the factory? How much testing did they do that contributed to the development of the car? How interested were they in the development of the car and the shaping of the future team and the future environment of the team, as well as the technical side? So many different factors. How are they with the media? How are they representing brands that were partnered and sponsoring our organisations? How do they work with young drivers and young mechanics and engineers and How did all of that combine to build a strong, high-performing team that could then go on to deliver the results on the racetrack and challenge for that elusive world title? There are so many contributing factors from a racing driver perspective, but also from a team perspective and every different element of that team as well. So it's a complex computation to suddenly decide who's the best Formula One driver. And I don't want this to feel like it's sitting on the fence because it really isn't. I'm giving you the facts of what's involved in making a decision like that, making a judgment like that. It's complex, it's multi-layered, It has so many different elements to it. And only when you have an understanding and appreciation and an insight into all of those different elements, can you really be considered a worthy opinion to a question like that? And if we take that to be true, and I'm telling you from my experience that it is, how can anyone else really judge a driver? I can't judge how good a driver Sebastian Vettel is because I never worked with him. I never worked with Michael Schumacher. I can't have much of an opinion other than what I've seen him do in a car and what I've seen him do on the television. I've seen him as a rival to us at McLaren, but I haven't had the insight. I haven't been behind the scenes. I haven't been in those parts of what makes up a Formula One weekend that we don't get to see as fans or competitors on the other side or the outside of that particular team's garage. And I guess what I'm trying to find a way round to here is the point that when any of us make a judgment of anybody else, particularly if it's done through the television or through social media, somebody we've read about in the newspapers, somebody we see in a film as an actor or actress, any of people like that, anybody we don't necessarily know yet we make a judgment of, people we see in the street, people we meet for the very first time. We often make judgments on those people. In fact, we always make judgments. And anyone who says they won't ever judge people on first glance is not telling the the entire truth because we just do that subconsciously. We can all tell ourselves that we're going to hold off making a judgment on somebody that we don't know fully. We can say we're not going to go off first impressions and we're going to wait to get to know these people before we really judge them. But actually, we judge people subconsciously. It's something we have very little control over. We make a snap judgment, a snap decision, the very first second we see somebody or we hear something about somebody. It's just ingrained within us. Our brains are hardwired to do exactly that. It's building up a picture of this person with the small amount of information you have. Our brain begins to piece together the pieces of this puzzle to try and create a picture for us that's easier to understand than one that's fragmented into lots of little pieces, many of which we don't yet have. The little pieces of information that come in, our brain knits them together into a very small micro picture that we then use to form a very quick micro judgment 
on that very first impression, that very first meeting, that very first engagement. And whilst we may not, that may not be a big judgment, that may not be the overall picture of the person, clearly it isn't. Whilst we may be just building tiny little fragments of information up at that stage, we're still doing it. And as we get more and more information, as a conversation begins to build with somebody you've just met for the first time, every little piece of information feeds into that picture and our brain, again, knits it together and begins to build that picture, put the pieces of that jigsaw puzzle together, gradually forming our opinions of the person perhaps standing opposite us. My point is, we need to do less of that. Now, I just said that we can't stop doing it. We can't. It's inherently hardwired within us to do that. But what we can start to do is to tell ourselves that that is exactly what's happening. It's our thousands of years of evolution that's doing this on our behalf, because way back on the plains of Africa, when we had tiny bits of information about a sound or a vision or a sight that we had seen, we had to start building up a picture of was it something that was a threat to us? Was it something that was going to eat us? Did we have to run or could we just hide? Was it something that we could potentially live off? Was it something we could eat? You know, was it something that was going to sustain us or something that was going to end our lives? We had to make snap judgments from tiny pieces of information, judgments that might actually keep us alive. But years and years later, we don't necessarily have that same heightened level of survival instinct that we need to simply keep ourselves alive. Today, we can be a little bit more measured about how we make judgments of the things and the people around us that we come across on a daily basis. And this is what I want to try and work more towards on a personal level. And I'd love to see how you guys get on with this kind of thing by just reminding ourselves that the snap judgments that we sometimes make and social media is a really good, perfect example of how this happens a small number of characters that somebody might have typed out on Twitter, a photograph that somebody puts up on Instagram that may not be a realistic interpretation of that person. That tweet may not be taken in the right context. It could be misinterpreted. And yet, because that's a small piece of information, maybe the only bit of information we have about the person who sent the tweet, it's what we build up a picture of what that person's like. And if we see an opinion start to be formed through a series of tweets or a series of posts on the social media platform, we start to very quickly judge the people that have posted those things. And what quite often happens in today's age is that instead of just building that picture, building that image in our own minds of what we're seeing from somebody on social media and telling ourselves that it's just our subconscious minds starting to build the pieces of this puzzle back together to put this picture for us to take a, a better understanding of who's on the other end of the tweet. Instead of us reminding ourselves that that is part of our evolution, that is hardwired inside of us, we don't. We pick our phones up and quite often what we'll do is we'll tweet back. We'll get into an argument. We'll say, I completely disagree with your opinion. You must be the kind of person who is brainless, who has the wrong attitude to life, who might be racist, who might be a bigot, who might have any manner of traits that we determine we've decided they have from this tiny piece of information that we've seen. We might criticize somebody for moaning or from, for complaining, for being negative on one of these platforms. And that might happen in real life too. We, you know, this is a good example. I was in a petrol station recently and I was in the car. My wife had just gone in to pay. I'd filled up with petrol. I'd sat back in the car. The kids were in the back. My wife came out of the petrol station, having bought a few items as well. And she came out. I said, all right, you got everything? She went, yeah, but the cashier was really grumpy. So rude. And my son in the back of the car went, yeah, but mum, you know, she could have just been having a bad day. And in that one moment, my heart just almost filled with joy because all the things that I teach my son, my children, are exactly that. Try not to judge people on that very first interaction. We have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, what kind of person that lady was. And my wife, to her credit, said, yeah, do you know what, Rex, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. She said, I apologise. That was the wrong thing for me to judge and the wrong thing for me to say. But I was so pleased that my son took that course of action. He took that first thought process was to think, well, 
I wonder if there could be some other reason why this lady behind the till was a little bit snappy, a little bit short-tempered, perhaps coming across a little bit rude. And that's my point. There are so many other layers to what every individual on this planet is as a person, what their character is, who they are, what kind of person they are, what their beliefs are, what their habits are and behaviours are. We know very little about anybody unless we really know them. In the same way that I can't really judge a Formula One driver that I haven't had the privilege to spend time with and get to know as a person, not just as a Formula One driver, as a person, to work with them, to engage with them both in and out of the car, both in and out of work, in social settings as well as professional settings. Only then can I start to really build up a picture of who this guy is. And then I can start to judge what kind of Formula One driver they are because I know them. I know what their personal life might be like to some extent and how that feeds into the type of person they are when they turn up at work. And when I'm sat in an engineering meeting with this guy and he's feeding back information after a really frustrating day, well, I can caveat some of his responses, some of his frustrations, because I might know that actually he's got some tough stuff going on in his personal life. Those are the kinds of things that that I need to know before I judge somebody fully. I need to know the character, somebody who I know has a short temper, but doesn't mean any of it personally when it bubbles over. Well, I can take that. I know that it doesn't mean it personally. I know it's just the frustrations of the car and it all comes from this good place of wanting to make the car as good as it can be. Then I can start to judge the Formula One driver on a daily basis. I can judge his performance a little bit better, not just on one day, but over the course of a season and over the course of his career because I have a better insight into who they are. When people are judging me, I would love it if they could do that on the same basis. You know, many people think they know people who put themselves out there on social media. You know, there's a viewpoint, a common viewpoint amongst a number of people that if you're willing to share your life on social media, you should be prepared for the criticism that may well come your way. People will judge you. People feel like they have a right to judge you because they feel like they know you because you're sharing your life with them on the social platforms. But that's not the case. They're sharing the bits of their life that they want you to see, that they're happy for you to see. But that's a tiny percentage of what actually is their life. And so the best thing that we can all start to learn to do is to refrain from reacting and judging too harshly when we see somebody, when we see something happening or being reported or seeing it through our television sets, reading about it in the newspaper. The first question should be, well, I wonder what else is behind this. I wonder what else is behind this story. I wonder why that person reacted in the way that they did. I wonder why Max Verstappen was screaming at his team over the radio. I wonder why Lewis Hamilton was complaining so early in the race about something when we all know his team are only trying to do the best for him. Maybe there's a bigger part to that story. Maybe there's something about Lewis or about the team. Maybe something's gone on. Maybe there were other conversations that we weren't party to that may have been directly related to the situation that Lewis Hamilton is now moaning about on the radio that we have no idea about. And if we knew about those things, it would give an extra layer of context to that story. But we never get that layer. And so because we never get that layer, we should try and refrain from judging too harshly. And I don't want this to be about Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. It isn't. It's about every single one of us, every single person who has ever talked about somebody in a negative light because they've seen a few tweets, because the popular opinion in the media is that somebody holds a view that might be the opposite view to the one that you hold. Maybe they have some reason to believe that's the view. That's the right view. That's the right way to view it. It might be different to the way you view it. But if they have a justification for believing that, maybe we should listen to that justification. We don't have to agree. But as long as they believe it fully and they believe they're right and they've got evidence in their mind to back up that opinion, who are we to necessarily say they're wrong? Because we will say exactly the same. We've got evidence to have our opinion. We've got something that, we, that makes us fully believe that we're right. Well, so do they. Maybe one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Or maybe we both just have different opinions and both of those 
are okay. The point is, judging people on a snapshot of information is dangerous. It's dangerous because we can form opinions that are not justified. And when we share those opinions amongst others, whether it's through social or just in a friend group, when we share those opinions that might be formed on a sliver of information that may or may not be accurate, but certainly isn't the full picture, those opinions can grow. They can be shared amongst that group. They can suddenly go viral. They can get exaggerated. And imagine being the person who those opinions that you have formed are about, starting to hear that so many people are talking about them and have got it wrong. I mean, just for a second, imagine being a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen. And imagine if you open up your social media and millions of people are talking about you. Some of them will be singing your praises, telling you constantly how amazing you are, but millions of them will be slagging you off, will be talking about you in such a negative tone. They'll be criticizing you. They'll be accusing you of certain things, of behaving in a certain way, of saying things that were out of order, things that you may have never even said. Or even if you did say them, they may never have been said in the context in which they were taken. Imagine seeing that every single time you open up your phone. Now, you can easily say, well, if you're Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen, you're being paid millions, you know, they should just suck it up and get on with life. There are people with way bigger problems. Of course, there are people with way bigger problems. But my point is, it's not just Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen who suffer with this type of issue. Yes, they may suffer with it on a bigger scale than many people, but it happens in almost all walks of life. It happens in the school playground. It happens in the office environment. It happens amongst friends. It does happen on social media, but it happens in pubs. It happens in shops. It happens in communities all over the world where people get talking about other people. They're talking about somebody they saw on telly last night or a story they read in the newspaper, and they have a deep discussion about somebody's morals or their behaviours or the words that came from their mouths. They have conversations about that person's character. And how on earth can anyone do that if you don't know the person? My point is that we should start to think a little bit more about how we're building up a picture of somebody and ask ourselves the question, is it a fair picture? Have we got the whole story? Are we missing some pieces of that jigsaw puzzle? In the same way that we can't judge Lewis Hamilton as a racing driver based solely on this season's results. Because he'd look terrible. He would look mid-pack at best. Yet we all know there is far more to that story than just these few, this small cross-section of results. It's not enough of a data sample to form any opinion. And even if you have the entirety of Lewis Hamilton's results in front of you, even that is still only a small percentage of the picture of who Lewis Hamilton is, of what kind of racing driver he is. Judging people without the entire story available to us, which more often than not is never going to be available to us, is a dangerous game to play. And so if we're never going to have the full story, the full picture about most people we form opinions on, we should try our hardest to refrain from forming those opinions. And even if subconsciously we're doing that and we can't help it to at least some extent, the next best thing we can do is refrain from sharing those opinions, is to refrain from jumping on social media and getting abusive ourselves, being opinionated about somebody or something that we certainly don't know enough about. That's the message that I want to come out of this part of the podcast. It's the question of who's the best Formula One driver. The answer to it is none of us can answer that question. I'm afraid to say, disappointing though it may be, it isn't as simple as it may seem. It will never be as simple as it may seem. And judging a Formula One driver, quite frankly, is no different to judging any single one of us. We can judge the way somebody operates in their job, how far they've been promoted up the company, how many badges they got when they were a, a Cub Scout, how well they did in their GCSE grades at school. But that's not who we are. That's not the picture of us. They are measurables in certain elements of our lives, at certain stages of our lives. They are data points. 
but they are a fraction of who we are. So try not to judge people too harshly. Okay, on to the next subject. And as I said at the beginning, I had promised you last week that I would come back to you and share some of my struggles. The reason that I wanted to do that was to, I guess, try and help anybody who might be struggling with similar things, but also to show that no matter who you are, no matter how good life looks from the outside, people always have challenges and struggles. People are finding things difficult on a daily basis, and I'm exactly the same. So I do a podcast here to help as many people as possible. I give advice, advice that comes from some of my own experiences, but also I've studied some of these subjects for many years because I want to have a better understanding of them. The idea of psychology, I've read so much around psychology. I have studied the subject for a long time since halfway through my time at McLaren, when I first got introduced to the idea of psychology as a factor in human performance, I became obsessed with it, became fascinated with it as a topic. And so I've spent many years reading up and studying on that subject and many of the subjects around it. And it's this podcast that enables me to share some of those learnings with you. And hopefully what I'm trying to do is find ways to apply some of the things that, particularly some of the things that we learnt in the pit lane of Formula One, looking for ultimate performance from a human and a team as well as a technical perspective and then applying those to the kind of things that we go through every single day and because I do a podcast like this I know that many of you think that well this guy must be absolutely cruising through life he doesn't have any problems look at him he's full of advice he's, he's absolutely nailing it and the reason I wanted to share some of these vulnerabilities with you some of these things that I do struggle with is to just to point out that that's not the case Yes, I'm very lucky. Yes, I love what I do for a living. And many of the things that I talk about, I try and practice. I haven't perfected any of them. Much of the advice that I give to you, I'm finding out these things and sharing these things. As much as it's helping you, hopefully, it's helping me. It's almost like therapy for me to talk about these subjects. I'm not talking about them because I've got every single one of them down to a T. I'm talking about them because I'm trying to become better at these things as well. And by sharing the journey that I'm on, hopefully it might help some of you to either embark upon or to navigate through the journey, the similar journey in your own lives. And so I thought through all of this week, I've been thinking on dog walks, on car journeys. I've been thinking to myself, okay, what can I share with everybody? What can I talk about? What do I struggle with? And I'm going to tell you very honestly how that thought process went this week. Because for a couple of days, the first part of this week, quite a few days in fact, I ran through everything I could think of and I came to a conclusion about halfway through this week where I started to worry about what I would say in this section of the podcast because I couldn't think of anything that I struggle with. And I was thinking you know, I think I've got life pretty well licked in the most part. Of course, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect in so many areas, in every single area of my life. But I'm not sure there's anything that I really struggle with. And it was only when I started to delve deeper and deeper, and I was thinking that can't be the case. You know, I must be telling myself that I'm not struggling as a kind of coping mechanism for something that I'm actually struggling with. And I began to delve even deeper looking for things that perhaps I wouldn't normally tell anybody. I would never have this discussion with anybody. But I wanted to be honest with you guys because that's the very point of this podcast and particularly this section. And so I thought there's two ways to deal with this. I can keep asking myself the question, delving deeper and deeper and deeper. And one of the things that I came up with, I'll share with you in a moment myself. But the other way I thought about going about this is I should ask somebody very close to me. Now, the one person who's closest to me in this world, of course, is my wife. Now, my wife is a very honest person. I mean, I think I've said to you before, sometimes way too honest. (laughs) I can ask my wife for feedback on something, and I know she won't pull any punches. She'll give me the truth, which is a very lucky thing to have in my life. When I'm creating things through, whether I'm writing a book, whether I am creating a video, whether I'm making a television show, and I want to run something by somebody who's going to give me the honest feedback that I need to try and improve on that thing, 
my wife is the person I go to because I know that's exactly what I'll get. 100% honesty. And so I sat down with my wife and I said to her, look, be completely honest with me. I said, what do you think, in your opinion, are the areas of my life that I struggle with most? Where do you think my biggest weaknesses in life are? And I sat back and listened to her rattle off a long list, (laughs) a long list of things that she sees in me that I struggle with. I was taken aback because it took her no time at all to rattle this list of topics off. And I'll share some of them with you in a moment. Whereas I'd spent most of the week searching for these answers and come up with none. Now, actually, that's not entirely true because I'd come up with one. When I said I could delve really deeply and continue asking myself that question, the two ways I felt I could go about getting the answer to this question of what do I struggle with, one was going to my wife, the other was me just probing deeper and deeper and deeper until I came up with an answer. And I did that as well as going to, to ask my wife the question. So what I came up with myself as a weakness, as an area that I struggle with, was the idea that I really struggle to accept criticism. Now, the reason that didn't jump out at me at first when I started asking the questions at the beginning of the week was, on one level, I always think I'm really good at taking criticism. I've spent the last 10 years or so of my life active on social media, appearing on television and on radio. I have written my life story pretty much into a book and now sold that around the world. I have every opportunity, I've given people every opportunity to come back at me, judging me, criticising me and giving their opinions. And they do that on a daily basis. I am well aware that that is part of the game. It's not a fair part of the game, but it's part of the game. Like we talked about earlier on, people make judgments about the things that I share from my life that I put on social media, the way I'm portrayed on television, the way I've portrayed myself in the book and on my own social media channels, on this YouTube channel that I've created over the last few years, I've put a huge part of my life out there. And people take that small section of information that I've shared and they come back at me with opinions. And some of those opinions, well, quite frankly, sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes it's awful stuff to read. But I've developed a thick skin. It doesn't bother me. I can genuinely say I can gloss over those horrible comments that appear in my social media or in the comments to a video and I don't take them seriously. They don't affect me in a significantly negative manner. I manage to just compartmentalise them, read them for what they are and put them out of my life. So that had given me this impression that of course I can take criticism because I do it all the time. The reality, though, is that whilst I can take criticism from the people that I don't know, the anonymous names, the egg-shaped avatars on Twitter, the people that I have no connection with, their criticism means nothing to me. It's just an anonymous person on the other end of a keyboard. Where I really struggle, and I genuinely really struggle with this, is taking criticism from the people that do matter. And of course, that fed directly into the moment when I went to my wife asking her for this really honest feedback about the areas that she felt I struggle in my life. And when she immediately, without having to think for very long at all, rattled off a list of things, I immediately went defensive on that. I immediately struggled to cope with that because that was somebody that I love, I respect, I want their feedback on one level. But on the other hand, if it's going to be negative... I'm not sure I do want it. And one of the things that she rattled off on her list of things was exactly that. You can't take criticism, Elvis. That was one of the things she said. And of course, my reaction was, of course I can. Have you seen my social media? Of course I can take criticism. But I can't. And I'm happy to admit now that I can't because what I do, my reaction to that, my impulsive reaction when I get criticism from somebody that matters to me is I immediately go defensive. I have a defense mechanism that kicks in and I either argue back, I fight back, I criticize back as a response. I'll say something critical about my wife when she criticizes me. It's just a not something I'm trying to do. It's something that's a, a habit. It's a reaction that's deep inside me that comes out before I've even stopped to think. So I struggle with that. I find it incredibly hard. As my wife went further down this list of things, and, and again, I will, I will get to what they are in a moment, it hurt me more and more. It's like a knife being stuck in me 
every single one of those things that she said. And I've had some time to digest them all now, and every one of them she's absolutely right with. So she said to me that you struggle to take criticism, Elvis. You struggle to deal with that. You struggle to handle it. She said, I often, you know, we now work in similar worlds. Since I've left McLaren in the world of Formula One's pit lane, I now work in the world of the media, whether it's in Formula One or Wheeler Dealers or whatever. I'm in the media. I'm putting myself out there in a television or media perspective. My wife has worked in television and media for her entire career, double the amount of experience that I have in this same industry. She's a valued person in my life because she has so much experience in a world that I only came into 10 years ago. So I should be desperately seeking her opinion. I should be respecting her opinion. Her advice should be something that I take on board without really thinking too much. Or at least I should take it seriously without ever questioning what her motives are. But I don't do that. I see that criticism as her just looking for any way to upset me. That's how it it feels when it comes in, when I take it in. When it comes in through my ears, it somehow is translated into an attack. And yet it isn't attack. It's the opposite of attack. My wife has always got my best interests at heart when she's giving me feedback, advice, and sometimes that can be criticism. It might be constructive criticism, but I, I don't see any of that. And my response is to get angry, it's to get aggressive, it's to fight back with some other kind of attack or other abuse coming back the other way. It's to tell her that she doesn't know what she's talking about. I know what I'm talking about. You're wrong. It's not fair. It's not fair on her. And most importantly, I'm not being fair to myself because I'm missing out on what actually is good advice, advice that can benefit me in whatever field that we might be discussing at the time. But I don't see that because it's clouded. My judgment is clouded by the fact that I can't take this criticism. She then went on to talk about how she said, look, when, uh, when we first got together, she said, I used to take it really personally that you, you never used to organise anything for me, to, to, you know, for us to go and do. You never organised dates. You never organised surprise gifts or surprise trips. You never did anything for us to create time for us to spend time together. You never organised a night out or you never organised a babysitter so that we could go for a drink at the pub. She said, if that ever happened, it was me that did it. And she's absolutely right. But she went on to say that I used to take that personally until, she said, I realised that it wasn't me because you don't do it for anybody. She said, you don't ever create time for the people that you love in your life. You don't dedicate or carve out time from your life to spend time with those people. She said, you know, even your eldest children, and this hurt so much as I was hearing it, even your eldest children, I've got two older children, one's 22, one's 20, one lives in Spain, so that's very difficult to um, to carve out time to see her to the same extent, but one of them is just 20 years old and lives in London. That's 20 miles from me. I could see him every week, but I don't. I mean, the fact that he's 20 years old, maybe he probably doesn't want to see me every week anymore. He's, uh, he's got his own life and he's very busy. But she was absolutely right. And since I've digested that, since I've taken a moment and the anger of me hearing all this criticism has melted away, I have begun to appreciate that she's absolutely right. Because I don't, I'm not proactive in organising time for me to go and spend time with my son. And it's the same with my little kids. It's the same with my mum. I don't get to see her enough. And the only time I do get to see these people is when Claire or somebody else organises it on my behalf. She said, you're unorganised. You struggle to organise much of your life. And again, she's absolutely right. I do struggle with that kind of stuff. I hate admin. I hate it with such a passion that I ignore it. And when you ignore the admin in your life, things get out of control. Things build up. Things become increasingly difficult. You get increasingly behind in answering emails or paying bills or whatever it might be, filling in forms, whatever the admin that you have in your life, organizing. I mean, we're building a house right now. You would not believe the amount of admin involved in doing that. And yet my wife has done almost all of it. 
but she has a full-time job just like I do. So why should she have to do it? The reason she's done it all is not because she enjoys doing it. It's because I haven't done it. And that's not fair on her. And this list of things went on. This list of things went on to a point where I got so upset, I had to walk away from the conversation. But the point of me telling you these things and the point of me bringing this into this podcast is that I'm recognising that those are failures on my behalf. They are weaknesses in me. They are things that I really struggle with. Things that I struggle with, not because I'm lazy. I don't not organise nights out for my wife and I. I don't not organise birthday treats or surprises long enough in advance. The fact that I go and buy her presents the day before her birthday or the day before Christmas is not because I'm not interested in buying her presents. That's, of course, how it comes across. And it may well be that somewhere deep down, I'm not interested enough, or maybe I would do it. I hope that's not the case. I tell myself a year before her birthday, when we get to the end of the actual day of her birthday, I tell myself, right, Elvis, you need to start thinking about next year's birthday plans or next year's birthday present. You need to put a note in your diary or a note in your calendar six months from now to start thinking, actively thinking about the birthday present so that we're not doing it the day before. And then that note pops up in my diary six months before her birthday. I think, right, this year I've got it. This year I'm doing this. I've got this nailed now. That reminder's popped up. Look at it. It's worked. I'm going to go and sort it out. And then I don't. And then it slips away and exactly the same thing happens every year. And it's because I'm unorganized. Now, you could easily look at this podcast with all of the things that I've told you over the last year or so since I began this podcast that Elvis must be one of the most clinically organized, one of the most military, precisely organized people. He's come out of a world of Formula One in a team like McLaren where attention to details everything. And yet my personal life is so disorganized, it can sometimes turn into a mess. And if I didn't have my wife around me to help and support me, it would be a mess. I can tell you that. So I struggle with it. And it's something that's been a struggle with me for a long time. I hate the fact that I struggle with it. And I'm actively and continually trying to improve on that, trying to get better at it. And that, I think, is the point, because no matter what it is we struggle with, and I've given you a couple of things that that I struggle with in my life, none of them might be life or death. I hope they'll never turn into life or death type situations. But the point is, whatever our struggles are, whatever the things that we and our personalities struggle to deal with or cope with, whatever weaknesses we think we may have, we can work on them. They're not fixed. They are not things that if we have a struggle or a weakness today, that does not have to be a struggle 10 years from now. It doesn't necessarily have to be a weakness a year from now because we can work at it. And the only thing that changes that, the only thing that turns that struggle or that weakness into something that can eventually become a strength is moving it high enough up the priority order that we start to dedicate enough of our time and energy to improving on it. If you play sports, if you play football, if you're a striker in a football team, you will practice your shooting. It's one of the things that you need to do, you need to be good at to excel in that particular discipline. So over and over again in training sessions, in your back garden, you'll be smashing a ball into a goal aiming for the corners, trying to become precise at it, trying to make it second nature so you don't necessarily have to think about it when the pressure's on. We can do the same thing with any one of our weaknesses. And I am telling you this knowing that I could have started this process a long time ago. But part of me telling you this, I'm hoping is going to trigger some more action in me. Because I don't want to continue going through life struggling in these particular areas. I don't want my wife, my children, the people around me to suffer because I never saw the weaknesses that I had that are affecting them as a big enough priority to try and fix them. So I am going to do that. It's going to be a process and a journey that kind of starts here. It should have started a long time ago but it hasn't. I can tell people it has. I can tell people I've been trying for a long time. I tell my wife every time she criticizes me for it, 
that I've been trying. I'm doing my best. I will work harder next time. I won't let this happen for the next birthday or next time we go through a spell without going out. When we need time together, I'll be the one next time to organise it. Don't you worry. You leave it with me, darling. But I've been saying that for years and I haven't really done anything about it. So I'm telling you this today as part of this therapy process that I go through, as part of an accountability that I'm trying to introduce for myself to help me to get on the journey of fixing this process or improving this process, improving my weaknesses, something we can all do and we can all work towards. And it just takes a little bit of effort, extra effort. And if it's a weakness or a habit that we've created, of course, it takes even bigger effort. It takes anywhere from 21 days to 66 days for any one of us to create a new habit to the point where that habit becomes easier to do than it is to not do it. That's what an ingrained habit is. And that can take anywhere between 21 days and 66 days of doing it repeatedly over and over again without fail every single day. Then it can become a daily habit. Now, I've done that. I went through that process in terms of creating my morning routine, telling myself, encouraging myself to get up every single morning, do a workout, write my journal and go through a process of doing something like reading. Sometimes I meditate. Sometimes I listen to music, whatever it might be. I have a morning routine that I've now created that happens even involuntarily. It just happens because it's a habit, because I went through a process of 66 days of doing it, forcing myself to do it every single day. So if I can create that habit with something like that, something that I see there'll be a benefit from me doing, why can't I do it with forming a habit like becoming more organized, organizing my life, being able to accept criticism, if I invite criticism, if I invite feedback from people around me on a more regular basis, that gives me the opportunity to practice accepting that feedback. And if I can accept feedback from the people that matter around me, that's a huge advantage. The fact that I can't do that right now or I struggle to do that right now means I'm missing out on some of the most valuable advice I'll ever receive in my life. The advice and the criticism, the comments, the abuse that I receive online or through social media, whatever it might be, those things are not valuable, valuable to me. They don't hold value in my life. I could choose to give them value, but that would bring me down. There were so many of them, it would simply be a negative for me. Whereas I have this opportunity of a number of people in my life who have my best interests at heart, who love me and support me and are willing to give me the feedback and the advice that sometimes I so desperately need. And yet up to now, I'm blocking that. I'm pushing it away. And therefore, I'm missing out on something that could really enable me to kick on and reach an even higher level of performance, to reach an even higher level of happiness and fulfillment, perhaps even. But I won't know unless I start listening to the feedback. And so that is exactly what I am going to try and do. And I'm committing here in front of all of you this week that that is the challenge that I'm setting myself. I'm going to try harder than ever. I'm going to put this higher up my priority list than it ever has been to try and start working on those weaknesses. It's a vulnerability that I have. And by telling you this stuff, I'm making myself incredibly vulnerable. By telling my wife, this is what I'm going to do, leaves me open for extreme criticism if it doesn't happen. If I fall back, if I fail again, of course it leaves me open to criticism. But I'm willing to take that risk because going through that pain and that struggle, if I believe on the other side is something greater, something that holds value for me, which I do, well, it could be something that could really benefit me in the long run. And I imagine that every single one of you listening to this podcast will have your own version of my little story there. You will all have things that you struggle with that you've maybe never told anybody, that you certainly don't publicize or shout about on social media. Maybe your closest friends don't know you struggle with these things. And yet maybe your closest friends can offer you some support, some help, some advice that could help you overcome those very struggles. How many of you are living with somebody, a partner, a husband or a wife who doesn't know some of the things you're struggling with? And yet surely 
if you were able to find a way to tell that person, they have got your very best interests at heart. They will only want to help and support you. In fact, they may well be upset if you don't tell them. If they find out somewhere further down the line that you've been struggling with this thing for some time but never told them, you've not only missed out on the obvious support that they could give, but you've also created a potential gulf between you because why on earth could you not go to your nearest and dearest and tell them the thing you're struggling most with in your life? So look, maybe over the next week, this is what you could start to think about more, maybe even start working towards sharing some of your vulnerabilities with some of the people you trust in your life. I don't mean go around telling everybody you meet that you're struggling to cope, you're struggling with depression or anxiety or any other situation you might be struggling with. I mean going to somebody that you trust in your life. Almost all of us will have somebody that you trust. When you've got that person there, that is such a benefit. It's such a huge opportunity that if we're not tapping into, we're clearly missing out on. So maybe you can start to share some of these things with the people closest to you, closest around you, and hopefully that might start to just help us all edge towards even better performance, even more success, even more happiness and fulfillment, maybe even more joy, but a better life at the end of it than the one we're leading right now where we're all clearly suffering in some degree or another. Okay, there we go. Now, I just want to finish up uh, today's podcast with a really positive and happy note. And it's not that what I've just shared with you was not positive, because I hope you can all see positives in that. It's a difficult thing for me to share in this way, and I've never done it before, but I'm doing it because I now appreciate there are huge positives to be had here from the negatives that I'm currently dealing with in my life. And I hope you guys can see that benefit too. But I really wanted to finish today's podcast by reading out a couple of the reviews in the Apple podcast store, something that I really want to encourage any of you, all of you to take a moment to go and do if you'd be so kind. But this is a nice way to finish because they're all good, happy, really positive comments and things that I really appreciate. And also things that I hope represent exactly what I'm trying to do with this podcast. Uh, let's start with this one uh, from James, who says, uh, this is my new favourite podcast. I don't know a lot about F1, other than that my dog is called Mika, <laughs> but this is so universally insightful. <laughs> Thank you, James. Love the fact you've called your dog Mika, even though you don't know a huge amount about F1. Um, this one comes from, actually, uh, let's, let's uh, full disclosure, this is a friend of mine, uh, Jerry Convey. But this, the reason this is important is that Jerry's a former colleague of mine, but he's gone on to become a mindset and performance coach. And so he's working in the very area that we talk about week in, week out with this podcast. And Jerry says, Mark was my teammate at McLaren Mercedes F1. So he has the validation of actually living and working in the highest level of motorsport. This is an excellent representation of what it takes to operate optimally in a high-performance culture. The lessons in this podcast are transferable to all areas of life, business, and sport. I highly recommend this. Thank you so much for that, Jerry. Uh, it means a world to me to have you comment on the podcast in that way. Uh, this one here, I'm not sure I've got a name. Oh, Rob. Rob says, hi, Mark. Really enjoying your podcasts and how you blend your pit lane experience, current day racing and personal insights to bring out learnings that anyone can benefit from. Your race reflections are always spot on and valued. Highly recommend people listen regardless if you're into motorsport, as these lessons can help us all a lot. Uh, Rob, I appreciate that. And I do hope that Rob's right. I hope that you don't need to be a massive motorsport fan to appreciate some of the things that we talk about here on this podcast. So thank you for that one, Rob. And just finally, this one, it comes from Paratrap, also on Apple, uh, says, Mark, only recently have I started listening to your podcast. I have to say, everything you've said thus far resonates with me on a personal level. Keep doing what you're doing as they uh, have the power to change a lot of people's well-being and outlook on life for the better. Uh, Paratrap, thank you so, so much. Your comment there, the final one that I read out, I hope sums up this podcast. It's exactly what I'm trying to do. And if you have seen some value in some way, 
please get yourself onto the podcast stores and like, subscribe, leave a comment, give me a rating or review, or drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much for listening. Have a wonderful week, whatever it is you're up to over the next seven days. I'll be back again next week with another one. And in the meantime, whatever it is you're doing, try and remember this, do the right things, do the things right.